Welcome back. This is episode number 11 of the Finding Strength Podcast. You're in the right place. Listen to the right stuff. We're excited to bring you another awesome episode thanks to our amazing friends at Tenny's Pizza. This week, I want to tell you a little bit about a couple of things they got going on over at Tenny's. Number one, you download the app, which I've talked about before, you get 25% off your first order. That's rad. So if you haven't uh, downloaded the app and ordered through that yet, be sure to do that. Again, you got to be local here in Utah area to be able to take advantage of the Tenny's Pizza awesomeness. And if you are, there are a bunch of specialty pizzas that not a lot of people know about. Maybe they do, I don't know, but it seems like most people just order pepperoni or, you know, some Supreme Pizza or meat pizza or whatever. They have that. They also have an Alfredo pizza with chicken, tomatoes, green onions, black pepper on there. Mmm, so good. A backyard barbecue chicken pizza. That's my favorite. Chicken, bacon, corn, pineapple, green onions, and red onion. It's not your traditional pizza that you normally get at, like, whatever pizza joint. Massive meat is their all-meat pizza. Pizza with pepperoni, ham, sausage, and breakfast bacon. Super high-quality ingredients. They got a margarita pizza. They got a spinach pizza. They got this kicking chicken one that's like a buffalo pizza with ranch, bacon, tomatoes, chicken, red onions, and two kinds of cheese. So the cool thing about Tenny's too is like their specialty pizzas are 12 bucks for a large. That's the gourmet pizza. Medium is 8 bucks. Super duper affordable. 12 inch pizza. They're medium pizza, original pizzas, not the specialty ones. 5 bucks. Large, 9. Super affordable. And in addition, you got the beast. You got a party going on. You're going to watch a huge football game. 25 bucks for a 26-inch one-topping pizza. That's legit. This thing is huge. So check out Tenny's Pizza tonight and let me know. We've actually had a bunch of feedback from Tenny's Pizza. I've had a bunch of people message me and tell me they really like it and they had tried it before, which is freaking sweet. So keep trying it and let me know what you think. This week on the podcast, we talk with... My friend, mentor, Troy Long. This man's story is unfreaking believable, guys. It's you're not going to want to miss it. One thing that I do want to mention before we get into the podcast, and before I tell you kind of what's going on in the podcast, is I want you guys to please go and subscribe. If you have iTunes, just click the click the subscribe button, Stitcher. Um, po- cast box, Spotify, all these things. You can favorite the podcast, and that helps us get this thing to a lot of different people as well. If you're on iTunes, go and please write a review. I think there's other places to write reviews with these other apps as well. Um, but if you're on iTunes or whatever, you can even go on and through iTunes on on the internet, like your computer. You remember those things, computers? Through the computer, and you can um, write a review there as well. Or just on your phone. Just take two minutes, give us five stars, send it in. It helps a ton. It actually boosts us in the ratings and in, in popularity, and we'll get this out to people who aren't normally familiar with what we're doing. Troy, however, uh, is, well, not however, but Troy is freaking awesome. His story is incredible. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. He is now the CEO of Deer Hollow. That's where I work. And his story from it's incredible because he starts he played for BYU 
under Lavelle Edwards on like the championship teams, like legit BYU days, football player. Um, he played professional football as well. And then you'll hear about his kind of rise and fall where he ends up homeless. And it, the, the journey he takes to get from star athlete being recruited on so many levels nationally, right? He, he goes from that and then he ends up homeless and how you, and then he comes back from it. I mean, it's just, this is incredible story. So you got to listen. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. So I won't waste any more time. Here you go. Troy Long, episode 11, Finding Strengths. back on with Finding Strength. Here I am with my illustrious, wonderful co-host, Bethany Tenney. Hello. We're so, back quickly. Oh man, right? So we just recorded last night, we're recording again, <laughs> yeah. but this won't be out for another week. We're excited to have with us Troy Long, who is a mentor of mine, an amazing friend, a partner in the cause. We're super glad to have you here, Troy. Just really appreciative that you're willing to do this, man. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know pretty much anything about you. So I'm excited to find out who you are and what this story I mean, Matt clued me in for about two minutes last night. Because I didn't want to give anything away. I know. Story so I literally is, know like nothing. It's it's a cool story. And actually, selfishly, I know a little bit about your story, but I don't know the whole breadth of the story. So I'm curious to see where you want to start. But more than anything, right? Like we are brothers in arms against this thing called addiction, would you say? True, yes. Yeah, and that's why I think um, the universe, God, higher power has brought us together to combat this thing. And so how how did you find this world, this addiction community, this calling that you have to basically help people? Well... Start as early as you <laughs> yeah. want, man. What's your what's your story? Sort of I mean, I was gonna say, when were you born? Where? Tell us all about you, Troy. <laughs> I was actually born in Utah, uh, in American Fork, um, and at a young age, was uh, involved in sports from the age of two, three, till I could, you know, when I could first walk. Had a basketball. Uh, I was born with a basketball in my hand, and. Uh, yeah, I was really, you know, was involved in athletics um, and uh, all through elementary, junior high school, you know, it was my life. You know, it was, uh, it was uh, kind of the, the, you know, the thing to do. Um, I uh, went to, uh, went to Alta High School, local, local high school uh, here in Sandy, uh, the Hawks. Hey, how old are you? I gotta know. Uh, there, I went quick there, didn't I? Yeah. Got right through all the yeah. all the good stuff. Um, I am at, at you know fifteen, sixteen years old. You know, and athletics at the time were a big part of my life. They were, you know, I, I, in high school I played basketball, football, baseball, and uh, ran track. And during the baseball games, we would you know be playing a baseball game at home. And uh, I would run over to the track field, throw the javelin, and run back in the middle of the innings. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty wild. 
you know, and those were some great days. You know, those were some great days. I, I went to uh, Brigham Young University on a, on a full-ride uh, football scholarship. And uh, What years were you at Brigham Young? So that was 85, 86, 87, and 88. Uh, I was at BYU. Cool. So you've been yeah. around a minute. I was too. I was too, bro. These are the glory days of BYU, too, right? I mean, yeah, this is when yeah, like yeah. BYU was legit. That's what I'm saying. I bet a lot well, of people I, be wait, like, wait, wait. wait, BYU is still legit. Oh, just a few Troy. struggles. There's a few the struggles heyday. here and there, right? I love that there are still people like you out there. <laughs> I mean, BYU <laughs> needs that. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah, we, I mean, yeah, no, we had, we had some good teams back then. We had a yeah. great defense. We had a great offense. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was fun. It what was position a lot of fun. did you play? I was a defensive back. Yeah, strong safety. Yeah, you can't see yeah. Troy, friends, but if you could. Troy is, um, what's a phrase that might be... Well known, large in stature. I love the same exact phrase. That's Troy's a, Troy's a freaking beast. Okay, so yeah. because I I didn't even live in Utah in '88. Okay, but when so this is how my what I'm trying. I have to put things together. When was Ty Detmer at BYU? Oh, that's so the Ty, yeah, Ty, Ty Detmer was there my my junior year as a red shirt, and then okay. my senior year was his freshman year. Yeah. There you go. Okay, yeah. so that's. Yeah. It makes a little more sense to me. I did watch BYU when Ty was there. So that was a really long Everyone time. Did. It was an exciting time, right? I, I mean, know. Ty's a great quarterback. He's a great football mind. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, I was sad to see him, you know, leave uh, yeah. last year. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's all Lavelle good. Lavelle was the coach. Lavelle was the coach. Yeah. My great friend, man. she's my, he is a friend of mine's uncle. And so I got lucky enough to go a couple of times. That's fun. Nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lavelle was a great mentor. In fact, when I started having issues with, uh, with uh, you know, drinking and and you know, I started, uh, I guess, you know, my first my first drink came as right at the end of the, my football career at BYU. Really, and, you were th- and, yeah. That's older, right? That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's older. A little bit. About Matt's age. Yeah. <laughs> you graduated uh, like yeah. you're 35. <laughs> so, the fittest yeah. 35 year old ever, man. That's great. I mean, uh, life was good, and I was I was playing football. I was doing what I love. Um, you, you was uh, was excelling. You know, I was uh, you know team captain, um, uh, all American my senior year, uh, all whack. You know, a lot of a lot of accolades. Um, loved what I did, and. Um, at that point in time, when when uh, you know, I I, I kind of tried to begin to fit into society, you know, because sports and athletics and and you know that was ninety percent of my life, mm-hmm. right? And in this fitting into, I think friends and people and and socially accepted those types of things were were uh, you know kind of part of the drive that you know my fit uh, it was a little maladjusted, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had grew up with a basketball in my hand, played basketball all day, shot the basketball all day, um, you know, I didn't sit around and talk with with people or friends or, you know, I was an I was an athlete, and well, that's how I saw it. Probably came easy because you're the cool guy, uh, really? you're popular, and so you don't you may not have to talk or try, right? You know, I I think you probably, you know, the <laughs> way I saw it internally was, you know, I I, I needed to fit in. 
you know, I needed to be a part of. And, you know, I, 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 the first time I drank alcohol, I, I, I drank alcoholically. You know, I, I picked up one beer, drank it, and I was like, okay, where's the next one? You know, and then the next, and then the next. And, yeah. and the, you know, the That's first time I drank, I had this, you know, a, the obsession. Once I had that first drink that continued, you know, the drinking. And it, part of it was is when I had one beer, I got loose. Two, looser. Three, I was fitting in. Four, we're having okay. a great time, yeah. right? You know, so that was that was kind of the introduction for me to, into into alcohol, you know, and... Uh, that's how it started, you know, with, with my relationship with, with alcohol. You know, there was my, li- my life that I had, which was athletics and, and the lime life and being in front of people. And uh, then there was the alcohol that, that, you know, people didn't know about. It's kind of like an underground right. thing right. that you kept under wraps. So people, you had the persona of Troy and then underneath that. I relate to that a lot, man. I did that for years. Yeah, yeah, I had to present yep. one way and mm-hmm. had, you know, uh, so alcohol and, uh, you know, it became a big part of my life. You know, the obsession, the compulsion, once I began thinking about it, I would drink, you know, without a decision that came before the drinking. Like, you know, it's not a good idea to drink and drive. Okay, I probably shouldn't drink and drive. I just drank and I drove. Shouldn't think about it. You know, and you know, I, I had some, uh, you know, a few encounters, a couple of DUIs, um, and then this, this, uh, the alcohol started to be part of other people recognizing, you know, what was going on with me, mm. and so I tried to hide it more. Right? My, I mean, my answer to this is not talk about it. You know, it's definitely not an issue. It's definitely not a problem. Um, you know, push it down uh, and hide it. And, you know, I think that kind of started the behavior of this kind of a dual life of, of drinking and on one side and, uh, you know, athletics on the other side because I mm-hmm. played football for the following seven years, uh, continued to play. After and college. Through, after college. Where'd and and during, that, during that period of time, I played uh, in the Arena Football League, uh, which was a, uh, like a minor league type mm-hmm. of experience. I had a lot of experiences with, uh, in the National Football League where I would go, I would run, I would, everything was great. I would get drunk, uh, begin using cocaine, uh, use cocaine, and I wouldn't show up. You know, so... All of this work throughout my life and through, you know, up to this point of being introduced to alcohol and, and, and begin drinking, you know, it was my dream to play, you know, in the National Football League. That was it. You know, and I thought it was going to last forever. You know, there wouldn't be a day that would come that I wasn't playing football. You know, that would have been like at the age of 29, you're out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, but I, I saw a vision of, of always playing. You know, I didn't really see an end. You know, I was good at what I did. I was, I enjoyed it. I had fun. Um, you know, the, mixing the alcohol and and then beginning to use uh, cocaine, it, it made it it made it difficult to suit up and show up. I was going to say, are you so? Were you drinking throughout playing in these leaks? Like, was it just at night? Were you drinking all day? Were you what? What was that like? Because to me, that sounds awful. To, like, drink and then have to go, like, run sprints and go 
That sounds awful. Is that what you you did? (laughs) At the next level. That's why the the Coke was there. Exactly. The the conditioning that you would, you know, that you would do is really pre-season. You know, so you would, you would, you know, condition yourself for the beginning of the season. You know, I I had a couple of, uh, a couple of injuries. Um, I won my junior year at BYU and, and had a, uh, uh, reconstructive surgery on my left shoulder and got introduced to pain pills. So during this time, I've got a little bit of pain pill. Uh, the drinking started. And so you know that feeling, that pain pill feeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. So are you still in the Arena Football League at this point in time? Arena, arena, arena Football League. league. And, and, you know, I, I, I signed a, a three-year uh, contract with Denver and the and, and the, no the di- <laughs> <laughs> are you a Broncos fan I love the Broncos no I'm so not but I like so, them <laughs> so when I was take take some years back I was I used to sell popcorn and peanuts at the at the uh, at the Broncos game from the age of eight until ten oh, so my awesome. mom was a DECA school teacher mm-hmm. and she had a, a stand there for her you know her her high school kids to market and and sell peanuts and popcorn and I had my little tray. And I would go up to the very top with a brand new tray of peanuts or popcorn and sit at the top with my peanuts and popcorn, eat six bags, seven, eight bags throughout the game, come down, check in at halftime. My mom would, you know, pay $20 for the peanuts that I ate, fill them back up and say, go sell something. Yeah. I'd go back up and sit down. Yeah. She's like, just go, just go do something. I got something. I got to work. Right. So, um, yeah, at that point, you know, it was, it was, I mean, life was still good. You know, I, I think I ignored a lot of the uh, repercussions that were that were you know um, part of the drinking and the in the in the using. Um, but at that point, I told myself, "Look, at any point in time, I can quit." I mean, I, I'm strong. I'm mentally, you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm an athlete, right? I mean, I, at a level that you know, if I have to quit, I will. Um, you know, I, I, I showed up my, my third year at, uh, in Denver, and I, I felt a physical. My shoulder didn't test strong enough to play. And it was uh, literally kind of out of its socket, you know, when we did our, our strength tests. And um, so I couldn't play my last year. And, and they, uh, you know, it, it, in the moment's notice, getting ready for a season, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, it's, it's over. Right. I mean, it's done. And so I'm like, okay, not a problem. I'll get a job. Right. A job. Uh, that never, was rough. Have you ever right. had to do that? I, well, when I was young, I did in, 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 in the, you know, in the off season of, of football at BYU, uh, I worked in construction, you know, just a summer job. Um, but this would be my first, you know, real big boy, you know, yeah. man experiences uh, to get a job and earn a paycheck. And, uh, you know, I, I, I found at that point that I wasn't capable of suiting up and showing up. I couldn't put the alcohol down. I couldn't stop using cocaine. Um, and it became, you know, a, a big part, the only part really of my life at that point. So I'm trying to hold down a job. I'm trying to be, you know, suit up and show up for life, um, at that point, I meet uh, my wife today, and 
in California. I'm working at Roadway Express as an inbound dock supervisor was my big boy job. Awesome. Um, seven days on, seven days off. It was a, it was a, it was, it was quite a, quite a job. Um, and as I'm kind of tr- making this transition into life, the drugs and alcohol, I couldn't stop. You know, and it was at a point, you know, I'm drinking, you know, a half gallon of a whiskey and a 24 pack of beer at night. And then, wow, you know, doing some, I'm a bit, I'm a strong, stout young man, right? I'm in shape. (laughs) So I could, you know, so I drank, you know, and and my drinking wasn't, wasn't normal by any means. Um, But during that time, I would still, I mean, I still function. At least I thought I was functioning. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, mixed with a little bit of cocaine, uh, it kept me drinking. Uh, but I kind of got to a point where my wife, you know, she said, look, you, you got you to gotta stop. Can you? And I said, well, sure. No problem. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, I can do that. And uh, I tried. For the first time, really, I think in my life, I tried to, tried to stop. And is what I found is I couldn't. So as opposed to like saying, look, I'm struggling with this, this thing. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't stop. I hit it. But I only hit it. I think I was the, uh, I was the only person that actually would, thought I was successful at hiding, <laughs> at hiding my drinking and, and my use. You know? And um, it got you know, really to a point um, that my wife just said, hey, you know, I, I can't, I can't watch you do this to yourself. You know, I have to, I have to, I have to let you go, you know, to be able to sort out what you're going through in life because I, I just, I can't be a part of this. I just, I can't, I love you too much to watch you uh, go through what you're going through. And, you know, at that point I was like, oh, you know what, I'm going to quit, right? This is, I'm just not a problem. I can quit. Five days later, I'm drinking again. You know, the mental obsession uh, with alcohol and drugs, I, I think when I associate it with, you know, having a disease, you know, I have an allergy to um, the effect produced by alcohol. You know, an allergy is described if you stand at the edge of, a, of an alfalfa field and you got Bob and Jim. And they walk into the alfalfa field each 100 feet, and they come out of the alfalfa field, and Bob looks at Jim and says, bro, what is going on with you? And, and his, you know, Jim's face is all red, and he's, his eyes are watering, and he's sniffling. But he just has a, a, an allergy. He reacts differently to the alfalfa field than Bob does, mm-hmm. right? And when I put alcohol in my body, I, I react differently than other people. And the obsession... And the compulsion to continue to drink um, is unstoppable, you know, for me. And you know, it was baffling to me at this time, right? Because I'm I'm strong. I'm an athlete. I've I've accomplished some really cool things in my life. You know, I, I, uh, I it was difficult to be leveled by alcohol. You know, it was to difficult. Have a weakness. Right. Right. You know, and I wouldn't say a weakness. I mean, this literally, I could not stop drinking. Um, I, I lost a few jobs, um, continued to try to, get to to keep the relationship together. Uh, 
Um, I was. So were you were you two married at this time? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we've been married now. No, were you married? Yeah, we were at yeah, that time. Okay. We were. Oh, she's saying she didn't leave you. Phaedra. She said if you can't she did. Stop. Well, she left. She left. I convinced her to come back. I right. mean, as an alcoholic, you begin these manipulative tendencies, right? I'm gonna stop. I'm yeah. gonna quit. I Look, I did this. I got it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. We're gonna put things back on track, and then boom. You know, you just pull the rug out from underneath. You know, my wife and my family's you know feet. And it was difficult to go through that. The more it happened, you know, the more I drank. And it, it, this obsession and compulsion that began and started with me, the, the difficult and frustrating thing was is I couldn't make it go away. No matter how bad I personally wanted it to stop. How helpless. It, it, you know, wouldn't, it just it would not stop. I got to a, you know, a hopeless state of mm-hmm. mind, body, soul, spiritually, uh, just, a, just, a, just a hole, you know, breezing through me. Um, at that point, um, I had lost about my 16th job in a row. Um, I was homeless. And, you know, I went into um, I went into the uh, VOA. Uh, to get help, and that's a that's a detox that is state funded. So you got your like your little gray mat, right? It's about an inch off the ground, and and uh, you know there's sixty, seventy, eighty people in there, and you know I think a reality check is this disease, alcoholism, and addiction dropped me, you know, to my knees, and you would think at that point. I would be able to stop, right? I went into detox. Um, I got out. I had no solution. I tried to get back into life, began drinking again, lost that job, um, and ended back. And, you know, I, I, I was in um, the VOA. Um, I, at this point, was also in drug court um, from having a DUI and not being able to show up uh, to the judge to, you know, face consequences. Um, how old are you at this point? Uh, at this point I'm, I'm, you know, 30, 32, 33, 34 years old. I mean, it's a three year stretch. This isn't like a, Hey, I had a problem and it got bad and I corrected it. You know, I was a thirties period for you was just in, it was rough. DUIs, VOA alone, homeless, And at that time, you know, my wife, to support our children, which we have three girls, um, beautiful, amazing, intelligent, smart, um, watching their dad just go, whoa. You know, I mean, kind of a helpless, you know, I'd make promises and commitments that I'd stop, I'd quit. You know, I did not have um, the tools, I found out today, at that time, to sufficiently put alcohol and drugs behind me and, and, and live life. Um, you know, I, I, the, the, the stays in the VOA, I, 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 I had a, a meeting of a 12 step meeting come into, uh, the VOA and, um, I was introduced to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought, you know what, you don't you know who I am. Right, so I'm homeless in a state-funded 
detox, when they came in, I was like, you don't know who I am. In my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I can still beat this. And that started the slow learning process with the 12 steps of recovery. You know, I, I got to a point, um, fortunately, uh, that I was willing to listen. You know, I was willing to say, look, I'm defeated and I need help. Uh, I, I asked a, uh, a gentleman, old gentleman, <laughs> he's, he's, he loved that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, if he would help me. And he, he began walking me through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I didn't believe in. Um, they talked about a higher power that I didn't feel could possibly be my solution. Um, I met this solution with contempt. You know, I, I, I met every angle of the solution with contempt. Because you're Troy Long and you got this and you don't need help from anybody, right? Well, I, you know, the funny thing is I wasn't saying that in my head, but yet those were my actions. You know, that's what was, that's what was, that's what was Because that's what we do, plies. especially in like early addiction with any help or with any help situation where we need help. It's, I've got this. I don't need to ask anybody. I don't need my connections of, on, of my own power. I'm going to defeat whatever it is that I see in front of me. And you'd done that your whole life up until this point. And so it required you getting on your knees and asking for help from another human being through connection in order to be able to overcome. But that's kind of, I'd say, a learned trait, right? Like playing sports. I grew up playing sports my whole life. And you you learn to fake it and act tough and act like you're amazing, whether you think it in your head or not. Because otherwise, you're not the one getting picked. You're not the one playing. You're not. That's how it works. You're like, I'm awesome. You should all watch me because I'm awesome. So you get used to like, even the even if you yeah, don't believe no, it, true. you get yeah. used to that persona where you like have to kind of fake it all the time, you know? And so that's tough because now in your head, you know you're struggling, but you can't say it out loud. You can't, no one else can know that or see it. I think the hard part for me was to be able to say, one, I'm defeated and and. I knew it. I was like, how can something as simple as alcohol have me where I'm at in, in the way I'm living life? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've got my own whirlpool box. I'm liking it. I've, I, it's because people are leaving me alone. I don't have a phone. I don't have communication. I don't have contact. You know, it, it was like, I finally have kind of arrived where people can leave me alone and I can drink. And to arrive for me at that point, um, it was, um, it definitely is not what I dreamed of when I was a kid, right? Hmm. You know, it wasn't, and it wasn't when I thought life was going to be. And, you know, I, I got involved in this in, in the twelve steps. I met them with contempt, and in the way I see that today, is the contempt I met um, the twelve steps with was if, if I was at a party, right, and somebody said, "Hey, here's some pills," I would take the pills, swallow the pills, and then ask, "Hey, what did I take?" Somebody puts the solution in front of me, and I'm like, "Oh no, 
there's a problem with this. And let me tell you exactly what those problems are. So it, it's strange how, you know, the, the powerfulness of the, uh, of the disease, you know, in, in, in where, it, where it took me. Um, I got involved in the 12 steps um, and uh, read through the first 164 pages, page by page, uh, read to me by this older gentleman. Uh, worked through steps one through three, got into steps four. Um, and at that point was the first point. It was seven months. I was sober um, through this process that I went through a 24-hour period with not thinking about drinking or, or using. So at seven months was my first kind of break of, you know, it wasn't on my mind and I was, wasn't fighting with all my will. And as what happened with me, and this is my experience, was when I gave up, I did the work and the obsession and compulsion was removed to use. What do you mean gave up? I, I quit. I quit fighting everything and everyone. And it was like I got out of that ring with that gorilla that I just couldn't win the fight. I couldn't win. My mind was not stronger than drugs and alcohol. I could not outthink it. I could not make it go away. I could not uh, make the thoughts yeah. go away to, to drink and use. On your own. Right. 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 And that's the thing that when you give up or other words are surrender or quit, as you, as you said, it's basically, I'm done doing this alone. I need help from... 12 steps. I need help from higher power. I need help from you, old timer guy. You know, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and once we do that reach out thing, whatever that looks like, that's when the help comes. And this is something that's widely applicable to, to not just 12 to addiction. It's all of our problems. Time and time again, we do this podcast. What's the thing that comes up every single time? Connection. Connection, right? And this Every is an, yet time. another example of how connection is the answer. And it requires this brief moment of vulnerability where we quit, where we give up like you're talking about. Yeah. And we reach out and we say, I, I can't, I'm vulnerable. I can't do this. Help. And that can be a million different, happen a million different ways. And for you, when you did that and somebody was there, things began to change. Yeah. 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 Was there ever a point where you felt like this addiction could take your life? Or did you feel invincible? I felt, I, good question. You know, I, in looking back at those times when I was drinking and using, you know, there were points and periods I definitely should not have made, made it out of alive. Um, you know, but, but, But what, was that ever your thought process? No, no. I thought I, I, it wasn't invincible. You know that it's not going to. I always thought in the back of my mind, the great obsession that I that I suffered from was that I was going to be able to live life the way I I I, I visioned it in a white picket fence with a house and a car and a job and kids and a wife. And then I was going to be able to drink. So, I mean, we call it drinking like a gentleman, right? That was the great obsession, that this phase of my life would pass. You know, and it just, it just didn't. 
you know, it, it continually, the obsession and compulsion continued to get worse. Right. You know, I, I understand that today is, you know, I'm an alcoholic. You know, I, 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 if left untreated, I will be right back there again. I know that today. I've seen it. I've witnessed it, you know, in, in, um, in recovery. You know, I, I became very active in recovery. Um, I went to, you know, I went to a meeting every day for six or seven years, um, eight years. I called my sponsor every morning at a specific time, not one minute before, not one minute after, uh, for eight, nine years, um, and continue to speak to him today. But through this process is what the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous taught me, was there's a spiritual solution to what I suffer from. You know, no human power can relieve me of my addiction. That means, that means my, my wife, no matter how bad I want to quit, my children, um, or me, the greatest plan I could ever come up with was I was unsuccessful. Um, you know, I, part of the solution of the big book is a, is, a, is a spiritual one. I shouldn't say part. It is a major, you know, it's a major component in, in, in service. You know, I, I took every service position there was in, in Cocaine Anonymous is the 12-step fellowship that I belong to. And, and from entertainment committee to area service positions, rocky service positions, cleaning up cigarettes. That was back in the days when the rooms were full of smoke, about, you know, from four feet up, you couldn't see the person standing next to you. Um, you know, but I, I got involved in service, and, and I didn't quit. I doubled down on it. And when I began in the service side of things, my life began to change. When I began giving back what I had been taught and work, walking other men through the big book uh, and working with other men through the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, that's when my life began to change. You know, at this point, I'm, I'm delivering pizzas at, at Domino's. Um, you know, my wife and I were together at this point, and we're, we're scraping by to get a big, a big gulp, you know, and be able to meet you know, our, our rent, you know, in our bills, our, our gas and our utility bills. Um, the more I doubled down on service and the more I began to give back, the more opportunities began to open up in my life. And so I doubled down more. I asked my sponsor, I said, bro, I mean, things are getting like really good right now. What do I do? You know? And he said, let's get another service position. You know, Rockies is coming up. Let's, let's, let's go and let's figure out, you know, what's available. And, you know, I, I, the unfortunate part of recovery when I was away from my wife, when I was using, is when I got engaged in recovery, I really, I mean, it became my life. And my wife, fortunately, went to uh, Al-Anon um, and understood that that was part of, and, and it needed to be part of my life as I, as I continued to be involved in recovery. What's Al-Anon? I don't know what that is. Al-Anon is uh, for the families and children. Uh, there's Al-Ateen, Al-Anon of alcoholics. Um, so that way they can learn how to support you throughout your recovery? Is that what they do? They actually, through Al-Anon, learn, learn how to live their own life. Oh. Happy, healthy, and independent and separate from you. So they're not attached. She's not attached to me, my emotions, and, and what I'm going through on a daily basis. So it doesn't She's, wreck her. So she right. can be a happy, healthy, functioning human right. being. That makes sense. Right. 
So she got involved in Al-Anon. I'm involved in, in 12-step. Um, we we kind of went through this path of recovery together. And, you know, our lives changed together. Um, you know, uh, opportunities presented themselves um, where, you know, I, I, I was able to start a business that was successful. Um, and throughout the entire time, I mean, from the, that business today, you know, I... I I take a little bit more than the original paycheck I took when I started it 13 years ago. Um, and part of that is is the growth and the acceleration of the business and what took place with it um, was developed of giving back. You know, and um, it's successful today. Um, it employs, you know, many employees and, and um, you know, we have a great time. Um, and we, we, you know, provide loans for, for people on vehicles that um, suffer from credit issues. And it was one of those things. I, w- I went into R.C. Willie um, when I got sober. And I had $500, and there was a couch. And, and when the couch was 550 I had 500 I went to the finance department. Right? I'm smart. Right? I'm, I got this. <laughs> I get there, and I'm like, okay, I've got $500. The couch is 550 If you will finance... The $50 for me, I can begin to establish my credit. They say, no problem. We got this. Fill out this credit application. Sounds like a great thing. We're going to help you. Let's do this. I fill out the credit application. I present it. I give it to them. They say, we're sorry. You got to go. You have to pay cash <laughs> or, or leave the store. And we're going to watch you when you leave so you don't take something. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, where, that's where my credit you know, that was what, my first credit card, I think, was R.C. Willie. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> nice, I love R.C. Willie today. <laughs> but no, I mean, that was the, the part of when people have gone through a difficult time in their life, uh, you know, I think we need people in, in things and in, in services to help us get back on track. Um, and help guide us and educate us and, and, and be able to be a part of our lives that, that is a positive part that, that begins to help us move through life with a little bit more ease. And, um, you know, that, that the, the mission of, of continuing to help and service people originally was very selfish. I felt how I felt because of what I gave back. Mm-hmm. You know, and I could keep what I have the peace and serenity of not having to think about using or drinking. You got, I mean, you got to understand where I came from, right? I'm homeless, VOA, obsession and compulsion to the obsession and compulsion being completely removed and having peace and happiness in my heart, not having a dime, two dimes to rub together, but it, you know, it wasn't the happiness and the peace didn't come with two dimes to rub together. It came from what was real. You know, and a lot of that was service and giving back. And so I continued to double down, and it opened up um, a lot of doors in my life. And and today, uh, it is just one of those things that it is on the forefront of, of my daily activity. I get up in the morning, I get on my knees, I ask God to remove the obsession and compulsion to use because I know what it was like. You know, and I know it can come back. If if I don't have that spiritual connection, um, I'm in trouble. 
and um, go about my day in, in, in being able to, one, be honest, um, two, think about others going about my day, that it's not about me, myself, or I, um, and, and that, that life that's, that was given to me by, by the 12 steps, crazy, though, right? I mean, you're not going to think that's, it was a design for living, for me, um, to be of service. So, yeah, that's kind of the. I love that. I feel like every everybody benefits from serving others. Anytime, and we've I try to teach this my kids, and anytime I've ever, um, we've spoken at some schools and stuff. My husband and I, and I always say like, if you're having a hard time or if life is rough the best thing you can do is step outside yourself and do something for someone else because suddenly your problems don't seem so bad. You know, you go out, you get out there and you go try to help these people or you try to just be there for somebody else. And now you can put some of your issues on the back burner or even just get rid of them where it's like, I'm okay. Like, yeah, this, this is hard and I'm dealing with this, but if I can help them, then I don't have to think about this anymore. I can yeah. I can put my focus on someone else that needs it a little bit more, or whether they need it more or not doesn't really matter. At least your focus is somewhere else. Sometimes I hate focusing on what's in my own head. <laughs> I want to focus on yeah, no, somebody that's... else and what they need. Right. Scary yeah. place to be. In, yeah. in, I mean, between the, you know right. these these two ears between your ears. Yeah. Right, right, right. Scary place to be. I think um, in getting to know you over the last couple of years. One of your greatest strengths is empathy, where you get it. You understand what people are going through, and that seems to fuel your passion for serving other people. Because, you, I mean, you're also extremely humble, and you will never brag about the success that you have now. And I'm not going to do it for you to enable you, but this guy's <laughs> successful, right? We don't need to go into details. But extremely successful. And that success has come from your service and the ability that you have, the uncanny ability that you have to be empathic and empathetic for other people. How, and, and I watch you, you know, also kind of mentor a lot of the guys we work with. How can we learn to be more empathic towards others? What have you learned along the way that has helped you gain that? Uh, you know, Matt, I, I think it is from just my personal experience, um, is that it was my experience. You know, it was, it was being in a place that was so dark that there was no way out. You know, not, there's just, I can't find a way through this, you know, suicidal thoughts, suicidal tendencies, suicide with a plan. You know, it's just going to be easier if I just stop trying because all my efforts led to a worse debacle. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think part of the empathy is I know what it's like because I have been there. I have lived it. I have felt a life surrounded by impending doom, waking up in the morning, just going, damn, you know, I woke up. Yeah. 
You know, it's like, shit, you know, what do I, what do I do now? Yeah, I've had, I remember many nights going to bed when you're you're in a bad place thinking, please don't let me wake up tomorrow. Like, it's just the easiest way to be done, right? Even though reality is, it's not easy and nothing's easy and nothing ever, it's not this clean breakaway. Um, I guess my thing, so I've learned a lot through the people we've talked to Mm -hmm. and experiences and I remember... Growing up, this was addiction has never been my struggle as of yet. Hopefully, it never is. But I remember seeing people, knowing people, family members, and I, you know, my young, judgmental, I'm so good. What's wrong with you? That, you know, that thought process. I look back and I just think, oh, that's, gosh, that sucks. Like, I feel so bad because you don't realize the stories that these people have behind why this started. It's not like you jumped into this thinking, having a drink and thinking, well, here we go. Alcoholics, this house, this house going down, you know, and same like people with drugs. It's not like, Oh, you try this. And it's like, yep, I'm going to be a druggie. I, I chose this, I guess. So for me, I wish I knew what to tell someone who is like myself or someone who's just like, doesn't understand because I've come to realize more and more that so many people have a story that they are these great, amazing people and we need, I guess, to love them, not judge them. So that way they can pull out of it. Cause I just always think, how do, how do we get these people out of this? How do we get these people to show how awesome they really are to come on the other side and be able to sit across from me and tell me their story and the success stories. Do you know what I mean? That's, I think that's my biggest key especially like with my own kids is I don't want them to ever look at people and think they're better than them because this isn't their struggle do you know what I'm saying I do so I guess my question is how how do we teach people to be more empathetic I think we're doing it I think we share our stories we be open we be transparent about what 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 we've experienced and 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 I, I think part of that is is not glorifying that the way things weren't you know, I mean, it's a real experience. I mean, these are things uh, that we go through, uh, that I went through as an as an individual in my life that, that I would have never thought. At the age of 14, 15, 16, if you would have pulled me aside when I'm all state, basketball, football, baseball, Utah High School Athlete of the Year, Coca-Cola, Utah State Athlete of the Year, you know, I've got colleges coming in from UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State. Uh, BYU wins the national championship and is recruiting. Lavelle's in my English class saying, <laughs> hey, you know, you, can you come step out? And the English teacher's like, well, yeah, Troy, get up. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you, you know, like, I mean, these experiences I'm happening that are, that are, that are just like, I, I think – are are so I mean they're wonderful right but they kind of led me down this path of thinking I could conquer anything in my life and it took what took place in my life and and then sharing that experience with others that has been you know other people relate it's just sometimes they don't want to tell you that, that this is what's happened in their life. I mean, no grown man wants to stand in front of you and say, look, my, 
at the age of 30 years old, I'm homeless in the, in the Volunteers of America and outside I've got my own cardboard box, right? I mean, who wants to, with a degree from a private university? You know, I mean, this is, the, nobody wants to, to level them, their pride to say that. And I think sharing our stories and being transparent about where we are, what's taken place in our lives. You know, people look at me today and, and, and would, would like be like, nah, you know, that didn't happen. Right. Well, ask my wife. <laughs> she watched, you know, ask my children, you know, what 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 we went through as a family to have that broken feeling of, of dad, you know, not being able to suit up and show up in, in, in life. And and, you know, I think it's sharing our story, sharing what's taken place. And the, probably the biggest thing is that there is hope. I mean, I share this 12 step gig, right? It's what I found at the point in my life when I was vulnerable, I was desperate, and I was willing to accept help. You know, it doesn't have to be. It's not the only way out, 12-step, right? There's, there's, there's resources. You, you know, if you feel like you're at that point in your life, reach out. I mean, I know where you've been because I've been there with you. You know, let's get on the phone. Let's talk. Um, there are other resources that, that offer some amazing assets. I mean, there, there, you know, Matt, your your background and what you do, in the way that you're able to reach people and touch people and, and help people. I mean, I never had that. You know, yeah. I had an old crusty guy with gray hair and a red nose that had a book in his hand that said, "We're going to read this together," but I was willing. You know, I was willing to go there, and in, in, in if he would not have been there, you know, I, I mean, I don't know where I would be today. So it's our obligation to be there for that person to be able to give back that has been so freely given to us because it, it wasn't, you know, it was freely given to me out of, out of love because he had been in the same place I was. And I'm... Um... The thing that the 12 steps nailed right on the head was that connection piece and creating a community of like-minded people who can relate to one another, who can reach out to one another, can lean on one another in order to overcome the challenge of our generation. I mean, we've talked about the severity of the addiction epidemic as it, in its current state. I mean, it's, it's the health crisis of our generation. There's no greater health crisis right now than the addiction epidemic. And um, you somehow found strength in helping other people. And you've taken that to a whole nother level now. You are, you are now doing something, despite having come from living in a cardboard box. <laughs> you are now doing something that, that more people need to believe they can do. Quite honestly, because there's a lot of people out there whose story in their head is, I'm a piece of shit, I'll never amount to anything, maybe I'll get over this addiction thing, but I'm just going to barely make it through. You are living proof that you can go to the VOA, that you can do the 12 steps, never go to a treatment center, never, and, and reach out to another human being, trust in them, dig deep, and now come out on top. And take that message that you learned and turn it into something even greater. I mean, 
you you run the place that I work, man. Like you're the guy. You have taken this thing to a whole nother level. And the amount of help that you provide human beings will it's it's unfathomable. The ripple effect that you create by telling your story, you I can't I can't express enough how freaking how grateful I am that you are willing to tell your story and you are willing to sacrifice profit for to help people because we are a people desperate for more love and help and you, I don't think you understand, and maybe you do a little bit, but I don't think you understand how desperate we are for more people like you and the message of hope that you send people who are in early recovery. So, because I know a lot of people who are listening to the podcast right now are in early recovery and feel hopeless, feel like there's no way that they can get out of this thing. And having you on here to show that that's not true is is something that I can't possibly ever repay or thank you enough for. Um, in, case, in case you were wondering what I'm referring to, Troy runs Deer Hollow. He's the man. He's he's our he's our guy, and he started this place. And he has since listened to Amy and I, and other people, and really begun to start a new kind of treatment that doesn't really exist anywhere else because of your openness and willingness and love for helping people. And that's not something that a lot of the guys I've worked for before have ever done. And it's pretty amazing to watch and be a part of. Anyway, that's my soapbox. I'm going to get off it now. Thank you, man. I, I think to set the record straight so we understand completely what's taking place What is is I don't run Deer Hollow. I do my very best to get out of the way and support you guys so that you guys can do what you do, you know? And they're, I, and they're amazing. <laughs> yes, they are. I know are. them both, and they're incredible and are helping so many people. So that's what I think his point was, which I totally agree. Yeah. Through you, they're saving a lot of people, and it's they've helped more people than I can even imagine. So it's incredible. Because, because of your humility and your empathy. Right. It, many people come into wanting to help other people and want their name plastered all over everything, and that's not you. And and um, that, that's, that's what true. makes it. I've been here many times, and this is the first time I've ever heard of you or met you. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. Right. <laughs> that's the point of getting out of the way and understanding the people that have the, the tools to present what needs to be. And as you've be. done that, it's worked. Yeah. Right? Like, you listen. Like, you could have come in here and been like, no, 12 steps, that's the way I did it, that's the way we're all going to do it. And Amy and I and other therapists here, Stacy and Marin and all, and, and Cameron and um, and all the other therapists that have worked here. That currently. That currently. Yeah, work that currently here, work, right? Yeah, yeah. Are, and Robin are telling you. Mike. Mike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Who's been on yeah. the podcast. They're like, hey, listen, man, this is what the research says. This is best practice. This is what we want to do. And you're like, yeah, awesome. Do it. Okay, go right ahead. 
What do you need to make it happen? I can't tell you how many times you've come up to me and be like, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And you get out of the way and it's changing lives. And sometimes that's the answer, people. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And we got to ask the right questions in order to figure out what the right answers are. And you've done that better than most. And for that reason, change is happening. Well, I, I, the, the change, I mean, when you look at, I, and thank you, and, and what we have is, is beautiful. There is, there is no doubt. I mean, I, I believe, you know, we're, we're coming in on 70, 70 staff members, and, and it feels like everyone is in a rowboat, a, a, a rowboat grabbed an oar, and we're all going in the, in, in the same direction, and it's led through passion and experience and education and the tools in the, in you know yourself and Amy kind of took these reins and and presented a methodology of treatment that I had never heard of and I was very standoffish I met with contempt but I didn't say it I said look <laughs> we're going to I like where you're going this is good right mm-hmm. But watching what took place, watching individuals come into our facility um, that were at the point of hopelessness of where I'm at and to see them where they're at today in their passion for giving back, um, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look at how many people between the facilities that, that are a, an active member of a service community today because of what they've experienced to be at the brink of death and suicide and, and, and be able to be where they are today like I was. I mean, they're on this, this, this passionate uh, vision and mission to continue to carry the message that there's help, mm-hmm. there's hope. And, and, I mean, you guys, you guys do that. I mean, you guys lead that, that spearhead, and, and, and I'm, I'm very glad I got out of the way. Thank you. <laughs> to well, be able to watch you guys do what you yes. watch you guys do what you do. So I would say my favorite thing I heard you say, and I've heard it said every single time on this podcast, and it's kind of something we push every single week. <laughs> and you're not gonna it's not gonna be what you think I'm gonna say, although that's part of it too. Okay. Okay. Is vulnerability. Yeah. Like that's why you came out of what you did. That's why you were able to sit down and have this older gentleman, you know take you under his wing and read to you. That's why like everything in life, how we progress is through vulnerability. If you sit, you know, like we talked about, if you sit and you're like, I'm not doing that. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done in my life? And you're going to tell me what to do? No, (laughs) no one learns from that, you know? And I always think I'm like, if, if I ever stop learning or if I ever stop listening to those around me and trying to understand and learn, I, I've lost because I feel like that is what every single day being able to hear someone's story and listen and feel it and try to take it and do something good with it. You know, that that's what it's all about. So the more people that can be like you and like all these other guests and be vulnerable and tell their story, it's, it'll save lives because people connect with that vulnerability. If you hold back, if you don't, Tell your story. If you don't ever put yourself out there, none of this ever has happened. It just it doesn't work. So I think that's freaking awesome. Well, thank you guys for creating the vehicle to be able to lay the 
the, the groundwork well, to be able to share um, a story and be able to connect. Yeah. It lives on forever. You can't take it back, man. <laughs> it's in the cloud. It's in the cloud. <laughs> Is there a delete button? You uh, can just press the button and it's gone. No, and no. we could have had a good communication, <laughs> a good conversation here forever. <laughs> right. So if, coming out of this, what's your takeaway, the, the take-home message you want to send as we wrap up? There's hope. Um, you know, I, I, I ask for help. You know, ask for help. Reach out. Let people know where you're at, and and it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be defeated. It's okay to ask for help. Um, it's okay to be honest where we are today. Um, it is the most amazing path that we, as individuals, can can begin on, is that humbling of oneself, and be able to our end goal. God's given us as special children the capability to be of service to other people. You know, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, you're one of God's special children. Um, reach out. Uh, you will be able to deliver a message to someone who is where you are today. Thank you, man. That's beautiful. My takeaway today is that there are way more good people on this earth than we realize. And you never know when you're going to meet them. Never know. And uh, we have to be vulnerable and reach out to meet those people. You want to wrap it up? Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) I'm way too into what you two are saying. This is what I do. I sit back and just absorb. Like, this is awesome. Um, Thank you. That was, that was amazing. I love hearing stories. And it's crazy because I was telling Matt, I know I have, have known people with similar stories. Obviously, everyone's different. But that got into, you know, different addictions and stuff through the same avenues. And so I hope that some people that I know are listening and this will help them and can make them feel like they can get through it. Um, next week. I don't even know what we're doing next week. We are currently figuring oh, out. Oh, actually, next week I think we're doing having my husband. Kevin. Yep, we're going to make him cry. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. I'm excited to see Kevin cry. <laughs> um, other than that, this, that's it. Thanks for listening to us on Finding Strength. Well, there you have it, folks. Episode 11 in all its glory. What I tell you, Troy's story is incredible. For us to keep doing this every week and bringing you more incredible stories, we need your support. We need your help. So if you know people who want to be on, who have an incredible story to tell and want to be on this, please reach out to us as well. If any of you out there are interested in sponsoring an episode of this podcast, it's not very expensive to sponsor. Please reach out to me. We actually have a pretty big reach. I mean, you know, 500 people a week are listening to this thing about and um, sometimes more, right? So the other thing is, is over time as we grow, people will will gain more and more and more listeners and they're going to go back to these original episodes and advertising early on in a podcast is pennies on the dollar compared to what it 
could eventually become. So basically, this is my ploy, my plea, I guess, or both, uh, to reach out. And um, if you're interested in sponsoring an episode or several or whatever you want to do, please let me know. We're always looking for help. Thank you again to my co-host, Bethany Tenney, who is on this crazy journey with me, and to Kevin and Brindy, who are also on it with us, our production team. They're incredible, and we are so thankful for them. Thank you to Tenney's Pizza for sponsoring this thing as well. Please don't forget about Brighton Day Foundation. It's getting close to Christmas. Brighton Day needs donations. Brighton Day needs support. Check out brightonaday.org for ways uh, to help the cause as well, please check out sobrietyfoundation.org. That's a charity that I work with as well, where we're putting people into sober living after coming out of um, treatment centers like Troy's and mine, Deer Hollow. We after, after treatment is over in residential, which is where we work, they're there for 30, 60, 90 days, and the journey lasts a year. And they these people sometimes are homeless and have no job, just like in Troy's story. And he went to a state-run facility that didn't cost him a lot of money. Um, It cost him next to nothing, right? But the facilities now cost a lot more. And so this is, is, is a new kind of industry that we're trying to figure out how to manage. And so we need charities out there like the Sobriety Foundation. Uh, we need to raise a lot of money. This coming Friday, October, what is it, the 26th? Is that right? October 26th, we are, no, 5th, sorry. Wednesday would be the 24th, 25th, yeah, 26th. October 26th, we're having a found, a really awesome uh, charity ball thing where we're going to do auctioning and fundraising, and we raise thousands and thousands of dollars, and that's kind of our one big event for the year. And then also online, you can... Click on sobrietyfoundation.org and click on the uh, Donate Now button and help out. Anything helps. It costs about $500 a month to put somebody into an aftercare facility, like a sober living. So if you want to help out with that, please uh, let us know. Thank you again for listening, Finding Strength Community. We freaking love all of you guys. Love the feedback, love the involvement, and can't wait to bring you another episode next week. Until then, we'll see you next time.